0: Okay, Albert put a lot of pressure on me today. See, it's going to be awesome. Whenever someone says that, I always... Uh, amen, God. It's awesome. I will now make myself taller. It's awesome. All right. I do want to give a shout-out to Laker Nation. Okay? I know... I know that we have... Uh, some Laker haters. The Bible says, don't hate. The Bible says, love your enemies. Um, but I'm, a, I'm an honest fan. I don't know if we're going to win the championship. I hope we do. I'm supportive of the cause. But it's always wise to be an honest fan. Because when you start drinking the Kool Aid, terrible things can happen to you. You know, you don't want to drink the Kool Aid where the, the Lakers are going to win. They're really in last place. The Lakers are to you, know, you see, you've got to be honest you got to be honest this morning. If you're a Laker fan, that's great for you. It's good. We're encouraged. Barbecues. We love that. But the Celtics could defeat us in seven games. we got to be honest with us. That's a possibility. When you start drinking that Kool-Aid, and say, no, it never happened. That's when you know when you're in Kool-Aid, Kool-Aid zone. Okay? A Sunday school teacher was giving her class the assignment for the week. Next Sunday, she said, we're going to talk about liars. And in preparation for our lesson, I want you all to read the 17th chapter of Mark. The following week at the beginning of the class meeting, the teacher said, Now then, all of you who have prepared for the lesson by reading the 17th chapter of Mark, please step forward to the front of the room. About half the class rose and came forward. The rest of you may leave, the teacher said. These students are the ones I want to talk to, because there is no 17th chapter of the book of Mark today's lesson, I'm going to need something from you. I'm going to need you to be intellectually honest with yourself. I want you to stop stirring the Kool-Aid. I got grape. I got cherry. What do you need? I got it all. I want you to put that to the side. What you think you know about God, I want you to put that to the side. And I want you to be intellectually honest. Because if you ever want to change your life, it starts with being honest with yourself. Amen. You cannot change your life if you're just not honest with yourself. If you want to come here and, and present something, uh, this, this mask of religiosity, you're not going to leave here changed and God's not going to get through to you. So we want God to get through to you, but to, in order to do that, you've got to be intellectually honest with yourself. If this is the word of God and God has given you this message from his word, you've got to be honest about it. Well, here's, the, here's the competing factor You have all this emotion. It feels right. It feels this way. I feel good when this happens. But if it's in opposition to this, you're going to have to be honest. Because a lot of times our emotion is so powerful where it puts the Bible down and our experience up. And we live off the experience and then we don't listen to the word. That happens a lot in churches. When I first started in the Bible, my emotions were up here. And the Bible was down here. But the guy asked me, "Hey, you ever read the Bible?" No, no, no. I'm Catholic. Understand this? aren't you getting this? I never opened the Bible. I was an altar boy. Went to went to parochial school half my life. But I, the Bible is down here. So this morning, if we're going to get through to you with the Word, you got to start by being honest. You agree? Okay, let's put the emotions away. Put it away. Let's get the Kool-Aid down. Let's collect the packets, ushers. Let's collect all the Kool-Aid packages. When Moses was being chased by the pharaohs and his army, and God told him to go in a certain direction, God put him right up against the Red Sea. Remember that story? And, And there was Moses. And he's like, hey, God, we're here, and there's an ocean in front of us. And here comes the Pharaoh's army. They're on the hunt. They're, they want them, Correct? And Moses goes, hey God, uh, what do I do? God says, lift up your hands. Why? You, this is simple. Lift your hands up and spread the ocean. Moses looked at the problem like this is impossible. God just says, spread your hands, please. We have to understand that God is... Amazing. Can we go to the, the beginning of the uh, PowerPoint? I hope that's not the first one. Da-da-da-da-da. When God... Uh... Is that it? Huh. All my pictures didn't come over, I guess. Oh, there it is. Let's go back one. When God... Told Moses to lift and obey him. It was simple. Lift your hands up. And things happened. God, throughout the study, you can go back to the beginning, the blank screen. When God gives us direction, God sees it from a very simple point of view. Guess who complicates it? You don't know what's going on down here. And we complicate something very simple. Remember when Jesus was sleeping in the boat? And the storm came, and they're like, and Jesus is sleeping, and the, and, and, the, and the waves are high, and the fishermen are freaking out. You ever see deadliest catch? Those guys hardly ever freak out on the show. I'm freaking out. Those guys don't freak out. I'm going. Someone's going to. The waves coming, knocking guys off the boat, and people die. They're picking up bodies. I mean, but these guys aren't scared. Fishermen aren't, aren't easily spooked on the water, but these were spooked. And Jesus was sleeping. And Jesus, what's, waves, calm down. And the waves, shh. In God's view, it's very simple. You think that God wanted to kill Jesus on the ocean there, Sea of Galilee, with the disciples there? God's plan was going to end that night? No. Very simple. So today, we're going to look at a passage in the Bible. Look in your Bibles in 2 Kings chapter 5. We're going to take a look at a story that has a lot of meanings for different people. 2 Kings chapter 5. Open your Bibles. I'll give you some time to get there. Give me an amen when you're there. Open your Bible. There you go, Kino. Look on with somebody. you gotta read, You got you to gotta look at the Word to get faith. You don't get faith by doing this. Faith, you got to look at it. And Okay, we got to look at it, okay? Faith, don't come when you just you know, open your Bible and turn some pages. You've got you to open it and read it. 2 Kings chapter 5. We read an account here that's very interesting. I'm just getting there right now. Okay. Now Naaman was a commander of the army of the king of Aram, one of the other nations there. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now bands from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel. And she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. As soon as the king, I'm sorry, Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl had, from Israel had said to him, By all means go, the king of Aaron replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter I am sending you my servant Naaman to you, so that you may cure him of his leprosy. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? You see how he's trying to pick a fight with me? When Elisha, the man of God, heard the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there's a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you'll be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought he would surely come out to meet me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than the ones ones in Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more than if he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored. and became clean like that of a young boy. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know there is no God in all the world Accept Israel. Please accept now a gift from your servant. The prophet answered, As surely as the Lord lives, whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. And even though Naaman urged, he refused. Wow, what a story, huh? A lot of people going on there. The first one is the servant girl. You know, in verse 2, these, these band of raiders, these, these kidnappers... They came and they took her captive. Just grabbed her. She had a mother, she had a father, she had brothers, she had sisters, she had cousins. They just grabbed her and just took her. Wow. She was a hostage. She turned into a slave. She was serving this commander and his wife. Can you imagine how you would feel if you were ripped from your family? Someone kidnapped you. Then they made you their slave. How would you feel? I would feel, I would not be encouraging. I would make life terrible for them and make them regret they ever took me captive. I would not be, obey them. I would fight them. I'd take out my army's survival manual and do all the things in there and kick and scream and resist them. Look at this girl's response to her situation. Held against her will, Away from her families. She's conscious of God and she saw an opportunity. She was helpful despite her situation. She shared her faith despite her situation. The servant girl was looking to help others, even those who were her enemy. You know, Jesus says this very clearly in the Bible. Love your enemies. Here is the servant girl living it out. You know, the Bible and the Old Testament and New Testament are very close. Without the the old, there is no new. Love your enemies. She was helpful. You know, we cast a vision for the church for 10 more years ahead. What's it going to be like? And you either can be helpful you can be helpful and positive and say, hey, let's do this. Or you can be like, nah, I don't like that vision. Nah. My slide wasn't up there. You're not really asking me what I think, but I did. If you have a vision, we want to know about it. Because we want God to use you in a great way. But I encourage you to be like the servant girl. Look at, look at her heart. Look at her attitude. Can I get a slide there? not working look at the next person the unfaithful king look in verse 6 you know he took the letter from the king of israel and he and he brought it to the king of israel and he he tore his robes and he says can i kill and bring back to life why is this guy send someone with leprosy to me because leprosy was certain death can i kill and bring back why are you trying to start a fight with me he gets this letter and then he gets overwhelmed Here's someone with a need. And he just loses all self-control. He assumes a lot. He gets critical. This is the king of Israel, the king of the prophet. He's the spiritual leader of the nation. He forgets who God is. How can I? How can I? Can I bring back? Can I do this? Can I do that? You know, there's a lot of I in there. When you start saying things like, I can't you're going to get easily overwhelmed. Very easily overwhelmed. He was unbelieving. He had no vision. He was self-reliant. You know, the Bible talks about that. It says, see to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart because what happens is, is you turn away from the living God. The Bible describes sin as being deceitful. It's sneaky. It's a very sneaky thing. Before you know it, when someone comes to you with some help, you're like, am I the Lord God? Go pray, I can't help you. We freak out. The king freaked out because he wasn't close to God. You know, a lot of our closeness gets exposed by some of the the stresses in life. Our relationship with God gets exposed. If you're easily overwhelmed... Here's a, here's a spirit check. How is your relationship with God? Because the king, something was missing there. I mean, he had the prophet Elisha. This guy was a disciple of the prophet Elijah. Remember him? Call down fire from the altar. I mean, the king knew all the stuff. He knew all the miracles, but he didn't see it. The king lacked Guts. Sometimes you got to have some guts. Sometimes you got to listen to your gut. It's important. This guy arrives at the pearly gates. He has to wait to be admitted while St. Peter leaps through the big book. Book of life. He's checking to see if this guy is worthy of entry or not. St. Peter goes through the book several times, furrows his his brow, says, "You you know, I can't see that you did lots of good in your life. But... Never did you do anything bad either. Tell you what. If you can tell me of one really good deed that you did in your life, you're in. The guy thinks for a moment and says, mm. Well, there was one time when I was driving down the highway and I saw, a, I saw a biker gang assaulting this poor girl. I slowed down my car to see what was going on, and sure enough, that's what they were doing. There were about 50 of them torturing this girl. Infuriated, I got out of my car I grabbed a tire iron from my trunk and walked straight up to the leader of the gang. He was this huge guy with a studded leather jacket and a chain running from his nose to his ear. As I walked up to the leader, the gang formed a circle around me. So I ripped the leader's chain off his face and smashed him over the head with the tire iron. Then I turned around and yelled to the rest of them, Leave this poor, innocent girl alone, you slime. You're all a bunch of sick, deranged animals. Go home before I teach you all a lesson in pain. St. Peter exclaimed, Wow, really? Wow, I'm impressed. When did all this happen? Oh, about two minutes ago. <laughs> We're going to need some guts. Guts to face the scriptures. The king didn't have any guts, he didn't have any faith, he had no ganas, he didn't have it. Because he became self reliant. When you rely on yourself and you're faced with a spiritual problem, it creates an overwhelming feeling. Because you have no way to help because you're not close to the Lord. Now let's go on to verse 8 the prophet Elijah, this new guy. The prophet, when he saw this, hey, why have you torn your robes? Hey, have the guy come over to me. I want him to know there's a prophet in Israel. Go wash yourself in the Jordan. You know, he saw an opportunity for God to work. He was calm. He was confident. He didn't fear man. This guy was a commander of an army. This guy was a stud. That's like me trying to jujitsu Alfred Prado and think I'm going to win. It's not going to happen in probably my lifetime. He saw opportunity. Jeremiah 17, blessed are those who trust in the Lord whose confidence is in him, they'll be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. It has no fear when trouble arises because the stream is his relationship with God. Hey, there's trouble. We can handle it. We can deal with it. The tree withers and dies when you're not close to the stream. If you're not in the water, the living water, Your tree will die. Your faith will die. This is what the prophet's saying, hey, don't panic. Send that guy over to me. I can handle this. He sees prosperity. He gives clear direction. Why why did the Bible record this guy getting dipped in the Jordan River seven times? Ask yourself the question, why would the Old Testament make a reference to that? He also how it makes a reference to what Chris said earlier about Jesus and the snake being put on a pole. There's always a connection between the old and the new. If you have to find it in the new, if it's in the new, then it must correlate to the old. Otherwise, you create false doctrine. You just take the new, and then it has no background. Everything in the New Testament has an Old Testament theology background. It's got to coincide with each other. It's got to match. The next guy. Oh, let's go back one. That's not the guy I want to talk to you about yet. Let's go to Naaman the prophet uh, PowerPoint. Look in verse 11. Naaman, when the man of God told him to go, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan or dip yourself, the Naaman went away angry. And he said, I thought he would surely come out to me, stand and call on the name of his God, wave his hand over the spots and cure my leprosy. You know, Naaman came with credentials. He had his letter from the king. He brought uh, with him 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold. If there was a baller, this was it. This guy was the man. He had approval from his king. But look at his heart. He had worldly religious expectations. Well, I thought you were going to do it this way. So do that, do your thing. Razzle dazzle. Because you can come into church, in this church right here, and be shown the Bible. And you're like, but Gio, what about this? You didn't do this. This is part of the plan. World expectations. He's proud. He went away angry. What? You didn't do it the way I think you you should. I'm out of here. Hey, bring my Kool-Aid. And you walk out with a bucket of Kool-Aid and you go back in your own little world of being frustrated spiritually. That's what it leads to. Amen. But fortunately, his servants go, hey, if you would have asked you to do something great when you have done it? How much more? Is this, this is easy. This is simple. He could be persuaded. He goes, hmm, maybe you're right. He was humble. And God blessed it. God always blesses humility. Amen. He always opposes the proud. Always does. God is very distinct about pride because it's what created the devil. Pride made him. So he's, <laughs> pride is like, Ugh, God can smell it. Yeah. He smells it, he doesn't like it. How humble are you this morning? Did you come here with worldly expectations? Like, if he doesn't mention what I think he should mention in the Bible, then rattle-dazzle. Or you came here for the music. We're here for this. All that other stuff is fluff. This is, the, this is the core. We do it to be loving and awesome and get, Yeah. But you don't have a band on Monday going, great are you, look, and you're going, like, you don't have that. So you've got to open the book and read. Yeah. This is what we need. This is, it's very simple. We do the rest to encourage you. Is it required? No, but it's nice. This is what's required right here, the Bible. You have to move away from the emotional trap that we're in. A guy named Joe finds himself in dire trouble. His business has gone bust and he's in a serious financial trouble. He's so desperate that he decides to ask God for help. He begins to pray, God, please help me. I've lost my business and if I don't get some money, I'm going to lose my house as well. Please help me win the lotto. Lotto, not, lotto night comes and somebody else wins it. Joe again prays, God, please help me win the lotto. I've lost my business. I lost my house. I want to lose my car. Lotto night comes and Joe still has no luck. Once again, he prays, "God, why have you forsaken me? Eloi, Eloi, I've lost my business, my house, and my car. My wife and kids are starving. I don't often ask you for help, and I've always been a good servant to you. Please, just let me win the lot of this one time, so I can get my life back in order." Suddenly, a blinding flash of light as heaven opens up, and Joe is confronted by the voice of God Himself. Joe, meet me halfway on this. Buy a ticket. You gotta come and draw yourself near to God. You can't sit back here and you know expect God to move in your life if you're not willing to come up instead of the Bible. God can't change your life if you're not willing to go, hey, hey, let's get together for a Bible study. I want to learn more about God. Can't do it. You need help, right? Come on, Joe. Matthew chapter 3 now. Look at this. Where was Naaman baptized? In the Jordan River. It was all dirty. What was John the Baptist doing in Matthew 3? John's clothes were made of camel's hair. He ate locusts with honey. He was pretty cool. He was on a very uh, disciple-shaped diet, I guess. People went out to him from the Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. They were confessing their sins, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River. The Bible says that this was the precursor to Jesus. The Old Testament had Naaman dipping. John the Baptist continues the dipping of Jesus there and other people in the Jordan River. The Bible just says, though, they were confessing and being baptized. What else were they doing? Well, in Luke 3 uh, of, of the Gospels, the word of God came to John. This is a parallel passage, but it gives us more information. Look what it says. He went around preaching in, in, around the Jordan, baptizing, preaching your baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. That's what John was doing. Jesus is not even there yet. That's what Elisha told Naaman, Naaman the commander. Dip yourself and be clean. That's what uh, John was doing in the Jordan with people. He was confessing and baptizing. Now, that's the pattern from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And the question that comes to always get is now people think that it's not an important part. It's not essential. If it was essential for Naaman to be cured of leprosy, if it was essential for people to given their sins forgiven, why would Jesus stop there? Okay? So let's look at another guy, Paul. Paul tells his story, and this is what he says to the governor of, of the Roman uh, area. He says, uh, Ananias had just kind of touched his eyes. He was blind for three days. He can see. And Ananias says to him, Hey, and what are you waiting for? This is Paul telling the story. Get up and be baptized and wash your sins away. Isn't that what Elisha told Naaman? Isn't that what his servants told Naaman? Hey, if he was something great, you would have done it. How much simple is it to go wash and be clean? Wash it away. Paul said it. John was doing it. He's talking about being baptized. You know, to enter the presence of God, this is the tabernacle, this means dwelling. When, if God is going to dwell with you, a couple things have to happen. One, there has to be a sacrifice. Okay, that's the bronze altar. As we know in the New Testament, that sacrifice was Jesus once and for all. The next step after the sacrifice is a big laver where they have to wash. And God says this, whenever they en- enter the tent of meeting, in here, this is where the ark was and all the good stuff in there. Whenever they enter the tent of meeting, they shall wash with water so they will not die. You go in there without being washed with water, you're dead. That's how you get into the presence of God. This is the Old Testament. We're not even talking about the New. How about this one? Paul says this. I don't want you to be ignorant of this fact, brothers, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and, that, and they all passed through the Red Sea. They were all baptized into the cloud and into the sea. This is a foreshadow. What saved them? Well, the water. Party. What was Pharaoh? Pharaoh was sin always chasing you. How do you get rid of the sin? Well, once they passed through, the sin was washed away. Pharaoh and his army were washed away. Old Testament. You don't hear this in mainstream Christianity because they want to deny the Old Testament. They want to take a few passages out of the New and claim their theology. I'm here to tell you, historically speaking, do your history, Google this. This has been an ancient doctrine for many, 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 many years, thousands. But in America, it changed. People altered this. Peter even says it long ago, the days of Noah, or the ark being built in it, only, uh, only eight and all were saved through water. Water is now baptism that now saves you. It saves you by what? The resurrection of Jesus. That's why we don't push people off the pier. I'm tempted, but I don't do it. Because it's about the resurrection. As Jesus died, was buried, and rose, so you die, you're washed with water, and you rise to a new life. These are all in the Old Testament, and and all the writers are corroborating it. They're they're trying to get you to understand, hey, this has happened over here. It's, it's, It's relevant now. But our emotions get in the way. Our experience gets in the way. No, no, this can't be. Yes, I felt that. You mean when I got baptized as a little baby? What's my mama gonna say? I was freaking out because I thought me being baptized as a little kid was it. <coughs> and no one got baptized in the Bible as a little kid, no one. You can scour through it. It's not there. So I had to put away my emotions. And what does the Bible say? And then my face started to grow. Did it go against my culture, my family? Yes, it did. Did mom get upset and stop making me dinners? Yes, she did. I came home. Usually there was food, a plate of food. No matter how late I came, this time there wasn't. There was a problem in my house. She tried to starve me out. Changed my ways, but... Once once I started obeying this and believing this versus my emotions, I saw my faith grow. Your faith grow? It's simple. Just put this into practice. Put this into practice. You know, a lot of us can think to yourself, which one am I? Am I the servant girl? Am I the king of Israel? Am I the prophet Elijah? My name and the commander? That's why I asked in the very, very beginning, you gotta be intellectually honest with yourself this morning. If you're not honest with yourself, you'll leave here unchanged. You cannot deny the scriptures. People try, theologians try, they write books, they make millions of dollars, they try to write this stuff away. But you have to do your own homework. Right. You gotta look for yourself. Don't just believe a preacher. Don't even believe me. Look this up yourself. Study this out on your own. Come to your own conclusions. And if it matches up, amen. But Naaman had one thing going for him. He was persuadable. You could persuade Naaman. Even though he was this tough cookie, he was persuadable. Are you persuadable? The Bible says in Hebrews 13, allow yourself to be persuaded when you're presented with the gospel. It's referring to leaders. Allow yourself to be persuaded. Don't be so stuck. Allow yourself. Look into it. Because God always opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. To God be the glory. Thank you.